Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, Nets fans? You know what it is. The Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. And this is the Brooklyn Nets 2023 trade deadline recap. Or I guess you could call it the KD Kyrie slash James Harden era recap. Because it's finally over. You you all know I did my Kevin Durant emergency pod at like 4 a.m. the night he was traded and recapped all that quickly. And it's, it's done. I mean, KD, Kyrie out the door. And ironically, as those two stars walk out the door, the long-lost third wheel in James Harden came back in Saturday against the Nets for the first game of really the post-KD Kyrie era. And he had some comments, so I'm going to tie that into this. So what I want to do here is I'm going to go through the trade deadline, the full return, what was given up. And then we've all had some time to sit back, to reflect to let it all sink in that the KD Kyrie era is done. So I want to just kind of recap that, rehash that, because obviously it's a hot topic amongst Nets Twitter. It has been for the last year or two. What happened here? How did a team that was so accomplished, so talented, so talented that a lot of people call them the greatest or the most talented trio in the history of basketball offensively, how did that group accomplish so little? And there's so many different factors that when – When you're trying to just talk to somebody and they ask what happened, it's tough to even put it into words because so many things happen from so many different angles that it's it's hard to weave it all into one story. I'm going to try to do it as best I can, and I'm really going to do that by talking about, I think, the five major people that were involved, and that's obviously Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, uh, James Harden, Joe Tsai, and Sean Marks. First, I want to talk about you know, what the Nets got back. Obviously, they traded away Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, also sent out Markeith Morris and TJ Warren in those deals, respectively. But they got back Mikhail Bridges, Spencer Dimwitty, Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, five unprotected first-round picks, one first-round pick swap, and four second-round picks. So when you look at that return, I think it's easy to say, you traded away Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. You can even tie James Harden into this. And you didn't get back a single all-star. And I agree that that is very disappointing. And I do think that, you know, in a perfect world, you'd obviously love to get back an all-star plus multiple first-round picks. But I, what I think people need to keep in mind is that when all three players of these traded, with it were traded within a year, which is unbelievable. I said it on the KD pod. I do not know if we will ever see a three players who are this talented be traded within the span of a year. I don't think it ever happens again. It's unbelievable. But when all three of those guys were traded, they were all traded as distressed assets. James Harden forcing his way out before the deadline, expiring contracts, saying, I want to go to Philadelphia. That's what I want. Nobody else is going to trade for him because they knew that Philadelphia is where he wanted to be. The only other thing the Nets could have done is potentially tried to call his bluff, keep him, see if things could have come together and see if he changed his mind. That would have been a very, very difficult gamble that I don't think they ever would have made. Then Kyrie Irving, another trade request, a guy whose value is just, it's better than what it was over the summer, but 
it's the biggest gap that I think you're ever going to see in the NBA in terms of the you know gap between the talent level and the trade value. It's enormous. And that obviously speaks to how disastrous Kyrie Irving was in his three and a half years with the Nets. So that's another distressed asset. Then Kevin Durant, who's requesting a trade and also saying that I want this, I want to go to Phoenix. The Nets had the most leverage here because KD has three and a half years left on his contract, something that we are definitely going to talk about later. But I think that they obviously did the best for themselves in this deal, getting two very solid rotation players in Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, a guy in Bridges who's just a hair below all-star level and probably one of the best defenders in the league. They get four unprotected first-round picks. They get the one swap. You know, is it perfect? I don't think so. But I do think that it is very close to the best that they could have hoped for. Because if you look at the other teams that were involved, that could have potentially been involved had they waited to the offseason, you need a team who can give up all of those assets and give up core pieces and still be competitive enough to to contend for a title. When you're looking around the league, you look at the best teams in the league, I'm just not sure who that is. I mean, you look out West, and obviously it's Denver, it's Golden State, you know, it's it's teams along those lines. I don't think that any of those teams, maybe Golden State could have looked for a reunion, but I'm not sure that they were eager to give up guys like Jonathan Kaminga along with all of their picks. That's something that could have been explored. Who knows if KD even wanted that. The, the Nuggets, I that would hinge on Michael Porter Jr. And I think that he's just way too big of a health risk to take back as a centerpiece in a KD deal. If he wasn't in a health risk, I thought that that would be extremely interesting, but he is. Then you look out East, you know, Boston's not going to do it. Milwaukee's not going to do it. Um, who else do we have? The 76ers, obviously, that's not happening. Then you look at teams like the Toronto Raptors. They, you know, could potentially put, put something together with Scotty Barnes, but we know that their team is struggling this year. They're not really close enough to contention to make that move. And Masai Ujiri over the summer didn't show any eagerness to make that move. You look at a team like the New Orleans Pelicans, is a team a lot of people talked about. Their trajectory has completely changed this season with Zion being out for an extended period. It's unclear how reliable he is. They're struggling big time right now. Are they going to give up a guy like Brandon Ingram plus all of their picks? I don't see it. So the Suns seemed like a team that made a lot of sense when you take a step back and look at it overall. So, you know, it, I, I graded both of these deals, the Kyrie Irving deal and the KD deal. If I had to give the Nets an overall grade for this, it would probably be somewhere around a B. B minus. I gave the KD grade a C plus. It easily could have been like a B minus. I would give the Kyrie deal based on what they were dealing with B plus close to like an A minus. So it's around like a B in my opinion. I mean, the trade grades are tough. Everybody has different opinions on that stuff, but that's what I would say. It's not great. It's not outstanding. It's not anything you're doing cartwheels about, but it sets the nets up well going forward. So that's my thoughts on just the return that they got. Now, Stepping back and recapping what I have coined as the greatest era that never was, that was supposed to bring all of this prosperity to Brooklyn. Nets fans have been waiting forever. For some people, I'm 24 years old. I'm not old enough to remember the two Eastern Conference, the two Eastern Conference championships and titles run with Jason Kidd and Kerry Kittles and Keith Van Horn and Richard Jefferson and Kenyon Martin and all of these players. I've watched the highlights, so I feel like I li- lived through it, but I don't remember it. And for Nets fans who suffered through a lot, 
from the New Jersey years where they won 12 games, the worst season in NBA history. Then they won 20 games back to back in Brooklyn after the phony you know, era that Billy King tried to throw together and Mikhail Prokhorov begged to trade every asset they had in the future and just all these disasters. You thought it was this was the time. This was the Nets time. We got KD. We got Kyrie. We got Harden. All these things. And really, it was all torpedoed by a multitude of things. But I'm going to break down all of it. And the number one thing that I feel like is the driving factor behind all of this, whether you agree with it or not, is Kyrie Irving. And I'm not going to change my stance on that. If you just look at the timeline of how all of this played out, Kyrie Irving is the common denominator in all of these things that have happened for the Nets. Sure, there's blame to go around from Josai, Sean Marks, who handled the dynamic with him poorly. But that, that, that dynamic and all of these issues were created by Kyrie Irving. They weren't created by Josai. They weren't created by Sean Marks. Josai and Sean Marks didn't do anything to start these issues that gained nationwide media attention and turned the team into a circus. Did they handle some of this stuff poorly? Sure. But they didn't start this. They weren't the catalyst behind any of this. They would have loved to just do their jobs and just continue to build this team out. But they had to deal with all this stuff because of Kyrie Irving and how they handled it and the issues there. We'll talk about that later, and there's definitely blame to go. But this just being these situations, just having this stuff to deal with is a product of Kyrie Irving. And if you just run through his time with the Nets, it's really unbelievable. I mean, from the moment this guy signed with the team, the Nets were worried about him. The first offseason that they signed the team, that they signed Kyrie and KD, I guess it was around training camp. They took like a trip to China to do a photo op, to play in a game or something along those lines, a preseason game. Kyrie apparently, I don't a lot of people just don't talk about this for some reason, had like a temper tantrum getting on the plane and refused to talk to anybody on the team. And it turned into a whole thing. Then there was this thing about the hat where everybody had to take their hats off for the team photo. He wouldn't take it off. He told them to Photoshop it out. And a lot of the players on the team who you know had been there and were kind of the core for those few years leading up to that were looking around like, whoa, like what's going on here? And I think it was Ramona Shelburne wrote an article and said, the Ky- the Nets are very worried about Kyrie's mood swings. He gets into these modes where he shuts down. He won't communicate with anyone. He won't do this. He won't do that. And it was a concern. If the Nets had their druthers, I would I go to the, my grave saying this, they would have signed Kevin Durant. They would have ha- given themselves flexibility to find the second star there and build the roster out without Kyrie Irving. But they were obviously a package deal. So that happens. They're worried about him based off of that episode on the trip to China. Then during the first season, when KD's sitting out with the Achilles injury, Kyrie has a shoulder impingement. He has a little bit of an issue with it. The Nets wanted to see team doctors. He doesn't want to see them. He wants to go with his own people. He seems happy to, to ship it in. He plays 12 games. He sits out the rest of the season. The Nets lose in the first round of the bubble of to the Toronto Raptors. They get swept. It is what it is. Fine. Then going into the first season of KD and Kyrie, where the Nets are really going for it, he takes an 11-day, seven-game extended absence in January. It was one day after the January 6th Capitol riots. He, he leaves the team, doesn't give notice about where he is, doesn't give notice about what he's doing. The team is left to speculate. They look like complete morons in the media because they don't know how to answer these questions. Steve Nash is just trying to save face however he can, and it looks bad. Then he's photographed at his, birth- his sister's birthday party at a club in in East Orange, New Jersey, where he grew up. 
and he is in violation of league COVID protocols. He has to sit out longer. The Nets don't know when he's going to come back. It ends up being an 11 game, 11 day, seven game absence. Then in March, he takes another three game road trip off. He doesn't travel with the team again for personal reasons. So there's two extended absences there due to personal reasons where he did not inform the team about what was going on and the team was left to handle the PR nightmare of all this stuff going into it. So th that's that. We all know what happens in the playoffs against the Bucks. We'll talk about that later. Then the COVID vaccine, he will not get the vaccine. It all, this is the point. This is the event during the KD Kyrie Nets tenure that was the catalyst. I tweeted this out a few days ago. After this, everything went downhill. And this had a ripple effect that completely changed everything. And is it fair? No. I mean, it's not fair that there was a COVID vaccine in New York City. I'm not going to argue about whether you should get the vaccine or not. I think Eric Adams said, if there is a list of people that are going to be on the you-know-what list for Nets fans forever, Eric Adams is going to be near the top of that list. Honestly, Kyrie Irving and James Harden should be there too. But Eric Adams, there's going to be a special place reserved for Eric Adams amongst Nets fans and how they feel about him. He's The, the vaccine mandate was bogus. I admit that. But once you look at that, 95% of the league was vaccinated. In New York, there was one player who wouldn't get vaccinated. It was Kyrie Irving. And it, it, just taking a step back, if you knew this was going to happen and you got wind that there was going to be a vaccine mandate and you said, who's the one player in, in New York City who this is going to be a problem for, who is going to cost his team seriously, it would have been Kyrie Irving. Out West, there was a vaccine mandate, two cities, New York and San Francisco. Andrew Wiggins was, did not want to get the vaccine. He was vocal about it. He got the vaccine begrudgingly. Whether you agree with it or not, his team won a championship. Just throwing that out there. So once that happens, everything is downhill. And a lot of that is intertwined with James Harden, with how that COVID vaccine and Kyrie only being able to play in away games and setting out the first half of the season entirely, how that all played into what happened just this last week. It's all intertwined. I'm going to get into it more when I talk about James Harden. But just remember that that decision by Kyrie Irving was the catalyst that set everything in motion for the complete downfall of this Nets era. Then you fast forward to this season after they get swept by the Celtics, when outside of game one, Kyrie really was a no-show in that series. He played outstanding in game one. Games two, three, and four, he was he was invisible. He did nothing. Then we get to the offseason, and he wants a guaranteed contract long-term max. A year after, he just completely ruined the next season and made it miserable, honestly, for everybody. He wants a, full, a fully guaranteed long-term max contract. The Nets are willing to go to him and say, we'll offer you two and four years maxes with stipulations in the final years about games played to protect ourselves. He says no. He offers a calendar. The Nets disagree with it. They say, if you want to go seek signing trades, you can do that. Nobody comes to the table. He can't find a deal because nobody trusts him. Then he opts into the final year of his contract and he plays out this season, the final season of what is supposed to be his deal in hopes of getting a new deal. He's going into a contract year. Two weeks into that contract, not even two weeks, like a week and a half into that contract year, he tweets out the link of the anti-Semitic film for a week and a half, two weeks. It turns into a total media circus. He refuses to apologize for it. It's just completely ridiculous. 
he comes back from that after a suspension that really was just a miracle that that even played itself out. Then play some great basketball and the Nets are on a, the hottest streak, 18 of 20, that they've ever had in franchise history. He gets to the deadline. He thinks that this is enough to leverage the Nets into a long-term deal. He asked for his long-term contract based off of two months, like not even a month and a half of playing high-level basketball and being available in the three and a half years that he's with the team. He thinks that that's enough to warrant a fair, a fully guaranteed long-term max contract at four years, $200 million, with no stipulations, nothing in it. The Nets won't give it to him. He feels disrespected. He asks out, and that completely ends this season and ends any hope of the Nets contending for a championship. So that's the chain of events. That's everything that happened. And when you lay it out like that in a three and a half year span for that many things off the court to happen with one player, it's just insane. And what Kyrie Irving is, is he's one of the greatest basketball talents ever in terms of skill, in terms of instincts, in terms of athleticism, in terms of fluidity, all of it. A guy that I love to watch growing up, my one of my favorite players to watch growing up all the way back to his high school days. But as talented as Kyrie Irving is, like as far as he goes in that direction, he goes equally far in the other direction in terms of just having zero self-awareness or accountability whatsoever. And that's saying a lot because Kyrie is insanely talented. He's also insanely lacking any self-awareness or accountability for his own actions. The guy really lives in his own world. And that's just if you look at the comments, now I'm going to take you through some of the comments throughout these stretches with Kyrie Irving. He completely derails the entire 21-22 season by being unvaccinated. He only plays 30 games. The Nets have to trade James Harden because of it and take back somebody who they don't want to take back. It ruins everything. Then, after getting swept by the Boston Celtics, he goes into his last presser and he says, I'm going to co-manage this team. I see myself co-managing this team going forward with Kevin, Joe, and Sean. And, like, I know Sean Marks had the comments a week after that and was, like, you know, kind of threw cold water on that and whatever, whether you agree with that or not. But, like, just picture Sean Marks and Joe Sy sitting in their offices listening to those comments. They must have been like, oh, my God. What the flying, you know, what is this guy talking about? I mean, that was just like that comment got made fun of forever when he made it. But looking back on it, that was just an insane thing to say after that season, which just shows that this guy is just living in his own world. Then he says, you know, early in this season, I think it was in October, talking about his long term plans. I'm never going to leave seven. You know, that's my guy. Kevin signed long term. I'm not leaving seven. I'm going to be with the Nets. What he really meant was I'm not leaving seven as long as it's on my own terms and I get everything that I want because he was having a successful season. KD was going to be coming back. They were ready to have a team that was in serious title contention. People were starting to believe that this team is a title contender. What does he do? He leaves seven. He left seven. So that was a lie. Then we go to, you know, when KD gets hurt, he says, you know, two games after that injury, maybe. We don't got, have guys who are halfway in in this locker room. That's the difference this year. And obviously, everybody thinks that he's talking about James Harden, which he probably was because Harden obviously forced his way out last year at the deadline after a KD injury. It was eerily similar because we don't have guys who are halfway in. That's not us this year. Like, like three weeks later, he's requesting a trade and asking to be out. He has a foot halfway out the door three weeks after saying that. So that was another lie. 
you request the trade, obviously, because he thinks that a month and a half of playing and being available is enough to earn you a four-year max contract. I don't that that's just not how it works. Then if you look at the comments in his introductory press conference in Dallas, they were like equally as bad. First, he leaks to Shams, who reports that Kyrie Irving wouldn't have signed a four-year max contract fully guaranteed, even if the Nets offered it. It's like, well, that's not true at all. That's a lie because two weeks ago you had your agent, your stepmother, leak to Sham, a uh, leak to it was Chris Haynes, a Bleacher Report, that I have a desire to make the Nets long term my home, and there the ball is in the Nets court. So both of those things can't be true. So that's just a lie. Then he says that he feels disrespected and that the Nets disrespected him. And it's like, if you felt so disrespected in the offseason when you didn't get your money, you didn't need to opt into your contract. Go walk. Go take whatever you think that you deserve because the Nets are disrespecting you. You opted into the contract to stay with the Nets. Why did you do that? Because you wanted your money and you knew that nobody else was going to offer it to you. So if you felt so disrespected for the, you know by the Nets... You could have put your money where your mouth is and opted out of the contract. You didn't do that, obviously, because you wanted your money. So that's just the case there. And when you opted into that contract, Kyrie Irving said, those who dare to be different are leading us into a new tomorrow because he opted into the final year of a $37 million player option. Like that, that just another comment that just made absolutely no sense. So when you look at all that, there was that's a lot. You know, we unpacked a lot there, but there is just a devastating lack of self awareness. And this is a guy that, if you were the Nets, can you really blame the Nets for not wanting to be in long term business with this guy? How they handled all of this stuff and how they dealt with it, there's there's a lot wrong with it that I'm going to get into later. But they were put in these situations by someone else and they didn't know how to deal with it. As I would think a lot of people would also have struggles with. Boston didn't know how to deal with it. Towards the end, Cleveland had trouble dealing with it when all this started to turn. It's it's extremely difficult and it's a common denominator with Kyrie Irving throughout this stuff. And all of these things led to different things happening with the other two stars in Harden and Durant that really were the complete the overall detriment of this Nets era. So that's Kyrie Irving. Now we're moving on to James Harden. Harden came back to the Barclays Center for the first time on Saturday when the Nets lost their first game, 101-98 to Philadelphia. They played really well, actually, towards probably till the last half quarter of the game. And it was an unfortunate loss. I'll talk about it a little bit later. But Harden came back. He had a lot of things to say because he was asked about after this. The obvious line of questioning from the media in the locker room was, what do you think about this Nets big three era when you sit back and you reflect? He was asked if Kyrie Irving not getting vaccinated and not being available that season was the reason that he left out or the primary reason. This is what Harden said. That's not something I'm going to answer, but the reason I made the decision to get out of my comfort zone, which was leaving Houston and do everything that I did to get out of there, was to come here and play with Katie and Kyrie. With that being said, that didn't happen as much as I would have liked or how much the organization would have wanted to. It's just something I knew wasn't going to change. So he's saying he came here to play with KD and Kyrie, and that didn't happen enough. KD was injured, so there's no blame to KD there. Who's he talking about? It's clear as day, and it's been clear as day, and there's people who try to argue this for some reason, that Kyrie Irving is the reason that James Harden requested out at the deadline last year. And that honestly set off 
another chain of events, which is what I'm talking about with this Kyrie vaccine decision that overall just it led the Nets in the complete opposite direction of where they were trying to go. He's talking about Kyrie Irving here. It's clear. People try to argue that there's multiple sources, people I've talked to who say that James was extremely frustrated during that season with Kyrie's lack of availability. There's a report that I've put in some articles from the Athletics' Joe Varden, who's a respected reporter, that said that when Kyrie, before one of their games in Cleveland, was lighting sage in the locker room because he still feels haunted by some of his past with the Cavs, that Harden was in the locker room. And the quote that those sources use is he was looking at Kyrie like he had three heads. Whether that's disrespectful by Harden or not, whatever, it's just, it's evident. It's a microcosm of the fact that there was a clear issue between these two guys. And Harden was clearly irked by what was going on. And it clearly led him in a direction of going away from the franchise, as is evident in that answer. Then he was asked on Saturday, Harden, was whether there was anything the Nets could have done to keep him. He said, yeah, there was like a lot of things, but it was just a lot of dysfunction, clearly. But it was a lot of internal things that I'm not going to ever just say or put in the media. And that was one of the reasons why I chose to make my decision. But now, fast forward to date, I don't look like the crazy one. I don't look like the guy or the quitter or whatever the media want to call me. I knew that what was going on. And I just decided I'm not built for this. I don't want to deal with that. I want to play basketball and have fun and enjoy doing it. And fast forward today, they've got a whole new roster. So many people, myself included, have called James Harden a quitter for the way that he forced his way out of the nets. And he's saying now he's trying to take a little bit of a victory lap in the collapse of this of saying, I'm not a quitter for what I did. This was doomed. And it's like, yeah, James, you are a quitter. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. If you fast forward to that 2021-22 season, everybody remembers this game. The Nets played the Bulls in early January. I think it was like January 12th or 13th. KB, Kyrie, and Harden was one of the 16 games that they were all available. It was the last one, I think. And they completely blew the doors off the Bulls. They were up by like 45 points. They were just dismantling them. And everybody, you know, including the NBA, just overall media discourse fans were like, okay, this is the team. When these guys are on the floor, it's unbelievable. They're going to get these three guys back and they're going to go for it. And even James said after that game, like, yeah, this is who we are. This is where we're going. This is what we want to do. All three were available. Then... You go two games later. I think it was one game later. There's one game in between. KD sprains his MCL when Bruce Brown falls into him against the Pelicans in a home win. KD is out for like four to six weeks. Then you go on after that injury. The Nets go on the 11-game losing streak. Kyrie isn't available for home games. He's only available on the road. And then James Harden, he quit. That's what he did. He decided, I don't want to be here. He started hanging back to party on their West Coast trip. He goes, you know, apparently that it's been reported by Woj that that didn't go unnoticed by his teammates because he supposedly had a hamstring injury at the time that he was out partying. He stops trying on the court, literally in his last few games, he gives miserable effort. Everybody remembers his last game with the Nets, the Sacramento game, the loss that I made a Twitter thread of, of his effort. It was just completely, completely awful. So when you say I'm not the quitter, it's James, you're a quitter. You quit. You literally quit by definition. You chose to come here with KD and Kyrie. You implored a team to give up all their assets for you. Literally implored. Bill Simmons, whatever you want to think about him, put out a podcast after the KD-Kyrie trades and said that James Harden and KD, before Harden came to Brooklyn, they both FaceTimed Joe Psy 
to implore him and tell him to make this move. And KD vouched for Harden because they had been playing pickup. This isn't even by Simmons. This is reported by other people. They were playing pickup in LA the summer prior, and they really liked playing through from each other. And they that's when Harden started thinking about coming to the Nets. So he FaceTimed Sa with KD and told them, implored him, give up these assets. I'll come here. We'll win championships. He said that. Whether you are a Bill Simmons, you know, whether whatever you think of his standing in the media, he said, I know this for a fact that those two did that. And when the guy like that says, I know something for a fact, I, I believe that it's true. So he did that. Then after imploring that team to give up all their assets for him, it wasn't what you thought it would be. There's some issues with Kyrie Irving. And then you decide you wanted to leave and you literally stopped trying on the court and sabotage the team in order to make that af- in order to make that happen. That is, by definition, quitting, James. So when you say, I'm not the quitter, yes, you are the quitter. I I, I saw a funny tweet. I think it was by uh, DJ, who's one of the guys on Nets Twitter, said, James and Kyrie, like, yeah, we left the gas on, but can you believe the way that house burned down? And I thought that was so accurate because it's like, yeah, James is like, they're like, I saw another one where it's like the Spider-Man meme. of They're both pointing at each other. It's like, yeah. You both were awful and did things that were completely detrimental to the franchise. Kyrie was the impetus, like the same way he was with everything else. But James, you quit. You didn't handle this well. And, you know, I saw people talking about a a James Harden tribute video after the before the Nets Philly game on Saturday. And I'm just like, oh, my God, the bar is just so insanely low and. Yeah, I mean, I'm, this is a spirited thing for me, obviously, with how I feel about Harden, because it's just it seems like it's just a it's a thing with, you know, how this has just become normalized. But yes, James, you quit. You you know completely left this team and you completely just stopped giving any kind of effort. And it's, it's just I can't respect that. And I don't think anybody can respect that. And on top of all that. James came into the season out of shape in 21-22. And that was, there was not only a wedge between him and Kyrie, between him and Kyrie, there was also a wedge between him and KD. This is from Kevin Arnovitz and Ramona Shelburne and Woj also reported the same thing. Sources say that much of the discontent between Harden and the Nets started in September when he arrived into training camp out of shape. With Irving's status already in flux due to his unwillingness to get vaccinated, Durant was astonished in the opening weeks of the season at Harden's lack of explosiveness and sluggish play, something he attributed in large part to Harden being out of shape. Harden, sources say, found Durant's slam grating and self-righteous. The two never resolved the conflict, and there was little that teams, Coach Steve Nash or Marks could do to mediate it. So, you know, James, whatever. Say whatever you want. It's all there. We all saw what happened. You're not going to change the narrative now that Kyrie and KD left Brooklyn. It's not, it's, it doesn't change what you did at all. Now, moving on to the last star in Kevin Durant. And Durant's situation is vastly different than Irving or Harden because A, never quit on the floor. KD never quit on the floor. B, never caused any dysfunction during a season, never focused on anything other than winning during a season. You saw it this year. When they were winning, KD was really into it. He was very committed to winning with this team, even when the chips were down, which is what I like. What I just said about Harden. When the chips were down, Harden's a quitter. He quits. When the chips were down for KD during the season, 
I mean, you can say what you want about his trade request at the deadline, but going back to last season, he's playing with the kids, KD and the kids, the vaccine, not the vaccine, the COVID protocols are forcing all these guys out. He's winning games against good teams with G leaguers this year. You know, he's just doing everything he can to hoop and to win no matter what. So that's, where you can respect KD for what he does. Because unlike James Harden, he's not a quitter. I would never call KD a quitter because he plays his heart out when he's on the floor. And he's given Nets fans, he gave Nets fans something to be proud of when he was out there because it was really it was really a pleasure to watch him play. He's one of the greatest players of all time. And the things that he did on the court and his overall competitiveness was commendable. And it's something that I do appreciate, you know, regardless of what I'm about to say. But... Having said that, KD is so far from blameless in how this played out for a multitude of reasons. And it's it kind of seems like I understand why it seems like he's kind of going to get off scot-free from in the Nets fan universe because he did not quit on the court. And like everything I just said, his talent is so mesmerizing and his commitment is so admirable when he's out there. But this is a guy who hitched his wagon to Kyrie. The Nets if I I really feel like the Nets didn't want Kyrie and he hitched his wagon to him at multiple points early in the season when Katie, when Kyrie wouldn't get vaccinated and they had Harden, they could have, KD had a choice to side between Harden and Kyrie. He picked Kyrie. That was the wrong decision. The decision to bring Kyrie with you and hitch your wagon to him in the first place, that was the wrong decision. The Nets could have gotten off Kyrie, and I think they would have early on in this if it was okay with KD at multiple points and tried to get what they could with him, ride with KD and Harden, and try to get some pieces and round out the roster using those additional assets. He wouldn't let it happen. He, you know, people told him not to hitch his wagon to Kyrie. They said this is not going to go well. He didn't listen. Art of bucket getting. He loves all that stuff. It turns out to be a massive mistake, probably the biggest of his career. Then he implores Joe Sy to trade for James Harden. Like I said, FaceTimes Joe Sy. He loves playing pickup with him over the summer. He tells him to give up all this stuff. We'll win the championship. We'll do this if you get this guy. He's the last piece. They do it. Then when it all falls apart because of the vaccine, James is beefing with Kyrie, all this stuff, he asks out. He hitched his wagon to the first guy. Then he implored the team to go trade for the second guy. Then he asked out when it all starts burning down. I mean, that's just, that that speaks for itself. I mean, I, I love, I love KD, like with what he did on the court, but I mean, it's kind of just undeniable. Those are the facts. He brought in those two guys. He told the franchise to do it. Then when he couldn't handle it and the team just started falling apart because he had poor taste in co-stars, he asked out and wanted to lead the team. That's, I mean, it's not good. It doesn't look good when you put it like that, which is you know how it happened. Then the team's going well. They trade for they trade Kyrie Irving at this point. I multiple sources have said that Katie and Kyrie weren't interlinked at this point. But I think having requested the trade in the offseason, just too much was happening. And it just seemed like it was past the point of saving, in his opinion. But in the article with ESP, uh, in an article from ESPN, Woj and Ramona Shelburne reported that he asked the Nets for a trade to the Sun specifically. But he said, I'll play the season out if you can't make it happen. And uh, the presumption is that he would be trading in the offseason. And I see people, you know, fans who are just commending KB for his professionalism. And I'm like, I feel like everybody's just not looking at like everybody's just kind of 
hypnotized when they're you know singing this praise for KD because the bar is so low. I mean, this is a guy that signed a four-year contract. You signed a four-year contract less than a year ago. This is the first season of a four-year contract. And this is the second time that he's requested a trade. Whether you agree with what the team did or not, he's bailing on a commitment. I mean, this isn't like a bad team right now. They have pieces around KD. They have flexibility moving forward. You know, I I'm, I don't want to bash him because everything that I said before, commending him, and it just would have been nice. And I think it would have gone a long way for KD and the people, the way that people see him, if he would have played out this season, given it a shot with these guys and seen what the Nets could have used these assets for with them being free of Kyrie Irving and all those distractions. I think that that could have happened. And this team would have been very, very good. And they would have had opportunities to get better. And, you know, how will KD be remembered? There's, you know, already talk of Jersey retirements and debates about that. I mean, whatever you feel, this is my opinion. When you're a guy, regardless of how great a player you are, who in four years won one playoff series and got swept once, like, that's not jersey retirement. You have to accomplish something with the team to get a jersey retired. And that's not even saying that this is a guy who requested trades twice from the team and eventually forced his way out. Like, if you force your way out, there's an argument to be had that you shouldn't get a jersey retirement. And, you know, I guess you could argue that if somebody accomplished a lot before that, they could have a jersey retired, even if it didn't end well. But when you look at, you know, the Nets won one playoff series. I mean, what are we talking about here? I get it. He's the best player to ever put on a Nets uniform. Bar none, there is no argument. He is the greatest. But he's also was one of the worst in selecting players to be with him and handling the dynamics of the team as a leader. So if you don't win and the team's just a complete disaster while you're there, I don't see how you get your jersey retired. I mean, that's not how it's supposed to work. The bar is like, like I keep saying, the bar is just so low. And I think it's because Nets fans haven't never had a talent like this on their team. And I understand that. But there, you have to accomplish something with the team to get your jersey retired. So that's how I feel about all that. Do I wish anything you know, bad on KD? No. I hope that KD finds success and happiness in basketball, and I love watching him play, and I'm going to continue to love watching him play. I, I wish him the best in Phoenix. I pray that he stays injury-free just because he's such a great talent to have in the game, and it's just such a joy. And it's better for basketball overall when this guy is playing, just like it's better when Kyrie is playing. But like I said, there are, you know, there are different arguments to be had So about the differences between those two. Now moving on to the... People who the guys who have turned into sort of a lightning rod and a heavy source of criticism, and I understand it to an extent, that is Shaw Marks in the GM position and Joe Sy in the owner. Starting with Marks, Marks deserves a ton of credit for taking this team out of the abyss and one of the worst situations in NBA history. Little to no talent on the roster, no draft equity whatsoever, and building it up to a place where it was desirable enough and looked functional enough for people like KD and Kyrie to want to come there. You know, there's also a part of that that I, I don't think that KD and Kyrie saw this team and were like, I, I love the culture there and whatever, and culture, 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 and that 18, 19 team. And that's why we're coming because I love these guys and I love Atkinson. They fired Atkinson, which I didn't even talk about with Kyrie. It's another thing. They fired Atkinson, but 
that wasn't why they came. They came because Brooklyn looked like a cool place to live. They got to be in New York. KD had a lot of business opportunities. They thought it was cool. Kyrie, we grew up a Nets fan. That's why they came. But having said that, Marks deserves credit because if that team the season prior was a 25-26 win team, which is what they were before he got there or the first two years that he got there when he was starting to change it, they're not coming. They're not coming if the team has no good players and the team is one of the worst teams in the league. They had to have some assets and some ability to take this stuff that they had with KD and Kyrie and even have the chance to go for a Harden or just to have the supporting cast around KD. And all of those pieces were found with no draft equity, really no assets. They were just good late drafting, good trades, taking on salary, getting first round picks, hitting on those, signing guys out of the G League like Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris. That's all just Sean Marks. So do I think Sean Marks and the culture that has just evaporated is why KD and Kyrie signed? No. But without the moves that Sean Marks made and his skill in getting a rebuild to that point, KD and Kyrie are not signing there. So that's kind of my way of articulating that, if that made sense to you guys. The biggest mistake that Sean Mark made, in my opinion, during the time with KD and Kyrie was that he hired Steve Nash. That was the biggest mistake. And there's there's a lot of conflicting reports. I mean, Jake Fisher, who is a, a very reputable reporter and is becoming one of the better reporters in the business in terms of intel, said that uh, KD played a huge role in that hiring, having played with or having worked with Steve Nash when he was a consultant for the Warriors. So take that for what it, what you will. Katie has since said that that's not the case. I just signed off on it, whatever you want to believe. But Sean Marks is also obviously very tight with Steve Nash going back to their days with the Phoenix Suns. And him giving Steve Nash as long a leash as he did after he hired him is a mistake. But something that I've heard from people who are in the know with the Nets organization and kind of know about the dynamics, you know, with myself being around the team this last season is that a lot of, some people say that Marks likes to be in control. He likes to have coaches that he feels like he has control over. And honestly, with how this played over Steve Nash, that checks out because Steve Nash was he was a puppet and he was he was the easiest guy to control. Never had a head coaching job coming into this and I I believe that. And what the Nets really needed with KD and Kyrie and with how dysfunctional the situation was, is they needed someone who had experience, who had the ability to command a room. And they didn't get that in Steve Nash. They got they got the opposite. And the players, KD, Kyrie, they might not have liked it, but it's what they needed. And that ultimately, whether KD or Kyrie want whatever, it's up to Sean Marks to make that call. So that was a mistake. But even then, it's hard to fully criticize Marks for that because it's evident that Katie and Kyrie didn't want that. And he's trying to keep his stars happy. So it's tough. I mean, maybe uh, Nash wasn't the right guy to pick when towing that line. But when you look at the comments that Kyrie made after they hired Steve Nash, he made the comment on Katie's podcast a week later. I don't really see us having a coach. I know Steve Nash. You know, I've met him a few times. You can tell when you talk to him why he can coexist with us. He said, I think this is going to change the way we see coaches. He said, I could be a coach someday. KD could be a coach someday. It's clear as day that in Kyrie's, you know, delusional mind, and this happened even after the vaccination season, he said he sees himself co-managing the franchise. This is what he thought that he could be a coach, that they didn't need a guy like this. That was what he believed. So that leads you to believe that they had some say and did not want a coach like a Thibodeau or you know, these other guys who are just a little bit more authoritarian. They did not want that. 
So I put the blame on Marks for not realizing what they really needed. But can you fully blame him when it's evident that the Stars were wanted a guy along the lines of what they ended up with? I mean, obviously, towards the end, Mark, it's completely Marks' fault for not getting off Nash when it started to go off the rails at the end and KD was out on it. That should have been a no-brainer. So, yes, you can blame Marks for that. But for the higher... I don't know, because what did you want to piss off your two stars at that point? They handed those guys the keys, so it's tough. And then the other thing that I would give Mark's criticism for is that he could have been more aggressive at times as the era went on. Ever since the James Harden trade, when Kyrie kind of just... The vaccination season, I think, really rattled the Nets, I don't know, understandably so. And from that point on, they were not in. They were playing everything down the middle. From all the issues with Kyrie to how they used their assets, it was kind of like, we don't want to fully commit and go all in on these guys because we don't believe in Kyrie. When Kyrie made these mistakes, it's like, we don't want to fully, you know, completely just banish him and get rid of him because we can't really, we don't know where that leaves KD and we can't do anything without him. But we also don't want to be like in support of him or kind of try to use verbiage in these situations that, kind of appeases him. So they were just playing it down the middle because like they didn't know whether they wanted to be in business with Kyrie and they didn't know where that would leave KD and where they wanted to go with this era. So I thought he could have been more aggressive post James Harden trade. He had the two first round picks. He had other players. I think they could have gone out. Look at what Jeremy Grant went for from Detroit to to Portland. It went for one first round pick and some expiring salaries. And I know that there's some issues with that deal because Portland um, Portland observed, absorbed that contract in Jeremy Grant into a TPE, a trade exception. So Detroit didn't have to take back any additional salary. But then after that, Detroit went and traded for Boyan Bogdanovich. So it's like they got they got took back money anyway. Could the Nets have facilitated the deal if they offered them two first round picks? I I would think so. You know, so it's there's a lot moving there, but that's Grant's just an example. There's other moves that I thought at that deadline they could have been more aggressive and they could have used those assets to look and show KD and be like, we're in this, we're committed to putting this team around you. And you know, maybe that would have led to a better playoff outcome. Maybe that would have led to just a better viewpoint in KD's mind. And because he said that he wasn't confident in where this team was going, maybe the moves like that and giving him some more talent around him would have made him more confident. Maybe it would have made him more comfortable and moving on from a Kyrie Irving. So those are my criticisms of Marks. I think that Kyrie deserves way more criticism for putting the front office in all these situations. But at the end, Marks failed in handling the roster amiss all that drama and also handling the relationship with Kyrie, which I think goes a lot more to Sean Marks, who I'm about to finish this episode with. But Marks hiring Nash, not being more aggressive once the the Harden thing went haywire. Those are my two criticisms of him. Going to Joe Sai, my biggest criticism of Joe Sai, and it's clear as day, is just what I said, the playing it down the middle. I mean, He didn't want to commit to Kyrie. He didn't want to be out of business with Kyrie. He was playing it down the middle. It led to all of this stuff just turning into a total circus. You look at how he handled some of this stuff. The number one thing that the best example of the way that he was down the middle and completely botched handling this is the Kyrie vaccine saga. He played that the definition of halfway because he said Kyrie's not going to be with the team. He's not going to be around the team. He's not going to play with the team. 
Maybe he thought that that would get Kyrie to motivate him to get the vaccine. But if you know Kyrie, you knew that wasn't going to be the case. Then when the Nets had some injuries and they had some COVID protocols and things were just really, you know, going off the wire and KD's workloads growing, they say we're going to bring Kyrie back for home games and away games and uh, for away games. And that obviously didn't sit well with Kyrie. And that was just that was just the wrong way to handle it. He botched that situation, Josiah. And it was it was bad. And he's trying to appease him, like I said. I mean, he brings him back. And then you look at the the anti-Semitic film post, which is something that happened with Kyrie Irving. He posted an anti-Semitic film. Like, I feel like we just kind of gloss over that fact now about how ridiculous that whole week and a half was. I was in all the press conferences. I was handling it. I couldn't believe what I was hearing because it was just, it was insane. But in the wording of the suspension, he says, not fit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets. And it's like, that's very strong wording, but then you're going to try to bring him back and try to have, you know, have him be goody goody with the franchise. It's like, he just handled this stuff the wrong way. He didn't know how to deal with it. And I mean, I guess I understand to a certain extent because it's difficult to deal with all this stuff as a first time owner, but he was trying to, appease and trying to be hardline at the same time. And it just doesn't work. You got to pick a lane, my guy. And he didn't do it. And then it's just, there's just times where it seems like Sai is too involved. It's just like, leave the basketball to the basketball people. He It's clear he does not understand how the NBA operates at this point. He's It's like last game after the Bridges thing, he's quote tweeting Bridges and saying, you know, Bridges was posted LeBron on the floor meme after the Boston game and was like, because the Nets didn't get some good calls, I guess, against Philly and was something along those lines. And size quote tweeting and saying, like, don't worry about it. Like, we love this team. It's like, my dude, just stay out of this. Just just go into the owner's box, cut the checks, work with people if you have to. But just, enough. Nobody wants to hear from you. Like, that. that's just, it, it's just, it's, it's too much. Like, the owner should not be in the headlines like this. And he is, obviously, because of Kyrie a lot of the time over these last few years. But... He just did not do a good job and he continues to not do a good job. I think that, you know, moves like getting down in luxury tax, all this money and we're reading about luxury tax savings for Joe Sai. I think that's very frustrating amidst the last week that the Nets fans have had. And I feel for them in that regard, because you're just reading about size saving a hundred million dollars and that's your selling first round, the seventh, second round picks to Indiana. It's just, he has not been a good owner. He's been a very bad owner up to this point. Has he been put in a difficult situation by Kyrie Irving? Yes, but he's been driven by ego. Kyrie's been driven by ego. The two of them are just not good to be together and they could not handle each other. And it was just, it was a failure by all parties involved, but it's just unfortunate. It's unfortunate that that's where this era went. And it really had to be a perfect storm. It, it The pandemic was the driving factor behind all of this, the vaccine mandate, you know, it's, but a lot of people have said it's always something with Kyrie Irving. So that's the question is if it wasn't the vaccine mandate, would it have been something else? I mean, early this season, it turned into the anti-Semitism thing. The season before it was the, the capital riots and then the extended absences. Then it was the trip in China where he was unhappy. It's like, there is a common denominator and there's a common storyline and theme with Kyrie Irving. So the vaccine mandate, I thought, was the most extreme thing that could bring that all out. Would it have been something else? That's up for speculation. 
But it's unbelievable because the biggest what if is obviously going to be that round two series against Milwaukee where James Harden injures his hamstring in game one, Kyrie Irving injures his, his ankle in game three because they blew the doors off the Boston Celtics in the first round. They were unbelievable posting like 152 offensive rating, the best in NBA history. Then in game one, even with Harden going out, they win game one. Game two, I was at game two. They're up by 49 points against the eventual champions without James Harden, 49 points. I posted a screenshot of the scoreboard on Twitter the other day. It's because like people are going to make fun of this Nets big three era and you know have at it, whatever, fair game. It was a failure. But I think people forget that that was a thing and that this team was absolutely demolishing the eventual champions. And then even in game three with Kyrie Irving going down with an ankle, they're up by three with a minute and 15 remaining. And then they're up by one with 15 seconds remaining. And Joe Harris has a wide open shot in that. And then even without KD and Kyrie or without KD, without Kyrie and an injured Harden on the floor, they still are pushing this team to seven games and the foot's obviously on the line. And that's the what if. And it's really unbelievable how everything played out after that with COVID coming into play and the vaccine mandate and all that. But at game two, as a Nets fan, I remember being at game two. I remember watching, looking at the scoreboard, taking out a calculator because I wasn't fast enough to do the math and figuring out they're up by 49 points right now. I, this is, I was like, this is championship this year. This is championship favorite next year. This is the Brooklyn Nets moving forward. And from that point, after game two, Every single thing that could have gone wrong went wrong. And it was a complete avalanche of this team going downhill from that point. That was the highest point. Game two was the peak of the mountaintop. And we are now at the base. And it's really unbelievable just looking back on it. So that is my take on the KD Kyrie era. Now looking at just this team real quick, they lost against Philly, but I really like this team that they have right now. Is it a championship contender? No. And that's extremely frustrating, but it's a good team with pieces that I think are very flippable that will play together and be fun to watch. And also they have like 11 first round picks moving forward. So there's going to be a lot of comparisons of this team to the 2018-19 team. And rightfully so, because the situations I think are so similar in certain ways in regards of them not being a contender after being a contender. But I think this team is much more talented. They did not have a player as good as Mikhail Bridges on that last team. I mean, look at that team. D'Lo, you know, just got traded from a team who's a contender, said, we don't want this guy. They took back a veteran of Mike Conley. Levert, his value has gone extremely down. You saw, you know, Harris is, you know, struggling off that ankle surgery. Jared Allen's a very good player, made the All-Star team last year, but I'd rather have Nick Claxton right now. It's just a better team. And the biggest difference is obviously that the Nets have a stockpile of draft picks that they did not have the last time around. So I don't think it's a terrible situation, but it's obviously a stars league and the league comes down to getting stars. How do the Nets get that next star? I don't see somebody signing free agency. Can they go for a trade in the next few years? Maybe it's not a terrible situation is my main takeaway. So that is my Nets trade deadline recap. It was the most eventful trade deadline that I think the Nets will ever get in NBA history and one of the most eventful overall trade deadlines that any team has had in NBA history. So that does it. I hope that this recap and my takes on how the situation played out provided maybe a little clarity, maybe a little bit of catharsis and closure on this era. If not, I apologize, but I did my best. 
That does it for this episode of Believe in Nets. I am Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter. You can for Clutch Points. You can find all of my articles on ClutchPoints.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Slater underscore for news updates analysis. You can find this podcast on all streaming platforms. Eric Slater signing off. Appreciate you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.